Have you ever noticed that when you see the movie after you've read the book, the movie's not as good? Or when you've seen the original series, the new series comes out, and it's just not as good. They change the characters. They change the plot lines. All kinds of weird things happen. And and every time there's something that's just a little bit different, it just stands out to you like a like a pebble in your shoe. Well, it's true not only of TVs and movies and books and things of that nature, but it's true of relationships. It's true of cultures. It's true of societies. It's true of, well, just about everything. The original is original for a reason. Now, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't imitate the original, that we shouldn't duplicate something of the original. There's a reason it's the original. There are probably some principles and laws that make it work well, and we should probably follow those. But it also means that innovation and invention are not the same as adulteration. And we need to know the difference as leaders because it's a very profound difference for the way you lead people. And that's what I want to talk about today on Leading Leaders. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast. And if you've ever read a good book and then realized that the remake of that book into a movie was just atrocious, there are bits and pieces missing, there are characters who are not true to their original form. I was recently reading today about the remake of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and how there are a whole lot of social nuances and cultural nuances that have been overlaid, inserted into uh, the script, the, the characters, the persona of the original that just isn't true to the original. It, it doesn't hold the same moral fabric. It doesn't have the same values for people. And some people see it as a, a racist attack because that was a successful black family. Others see it as a, an adaptation that allows today's cultural mores to fit into a show that back then didn't acknowledge them. And the question still remains, why is the original the original? Why is Elvis Presley, no matter how many imitators, no matter how many people want to be an Elvis Presley impersonator, how come Elvis Presley is still as famous as he was when he lived? How come his albums still sell today? His music is still just as popular. I know, I still get requests for it at almost every event that we do. Either somebody wants to sing the song or they want to hear the song and dance to it. Why is it that the original remains the original? Well, because there was something about it. Now, now let me also put this in there. Sometimes the original isn't the first one. Sometimes the original isn't the first one. Thomas Edison, for an example, was the first guy to patent the light bulb, but it wasn't the first one that was ever made. Uh, there was also 10,000 other iterations of light bulb that Thomas Edison tried to make that they, they just didn't work well. And those different iterations became other things. But the original filament light bulb, the vacuum-sealed burning of a filament inside a glass tube, uh, well, until LEDs and fluorescence came around, hundreds of years passed, and the original was still the original. And for what it's worth, there is one original light bulb that's been burning for over 100 years in a fire station. Uh, I don't remember exactly where I've talked about it here before, about the cartel who actually said, we're not going to make light bulbs that last that long anymore because we'll never sell another light bulb. So they actually intentionally adulterated the process of the light bulb to make it burn out sooner so that they could sell more light bulbs. Some would say, well, that's capitalism at its greatest. Well, no, it's not. It's a manipulation of capitalism. And here we go back again with what about the original versus innovation or invention. In my opinion, 
And I am not an economist, so don't get me wrong, I'm not trying to make any big, bold statement about economics. But in my opinion, what I have read about the difference between shareholder and stakeholder capitalism, stakeholder capitalism is an adulteration of the original. The original is based on some really basic stuff. If you want it, and I have it, we, just the two of us, negotiate what it's worth to you. If I have a cup of coffee, and you want a cup of coffee, I could choose to give it to you. I could choose to sell it to you for a dollar. If you chose to buy it for a dollar, then we've agreed on something, and that's a fair price for that cup of coffee. If I told you the cup of coffee is $92, and you said, I am not paying $92 for a cup of coffee, well, then that's fair, too. I get to keep my coffee. You keep your $92. We both go on down the road. But if I say the cup of coffee to me is worth $92, and you say, I'm only willing to pay 5 now the negotiations have started. Where it gets adulterated is when capitalism is forced by government or some other party to say, no, a cup of coffee will always be $3. You will always pay $3 even if the price and value goes down and it's only worth $0.50, cents, you will still pay $3. And even if the price goes up and it's worth $92, you will still pay $3. So what that tells me is, I don't need to be making any more coffee because it's going to cost me money to provide you coffee at $3 a cup when it's costing me $90 to make it. I'm not doing it. I'll find something else to do with my time. That's an adulterated version of capitalism. Now, stakeholder capitalism says, well, what about the people who make the coffee beans? Well, you got to consider them, too, in that whole price structure. Make sure that they're getting at least a minimum wage and health care and a free car and a free house and a free college education. So you can't just make coffee for $3. It's got to be more expensive than that. Really, what you're saying is the person buying the cup of coffee should be paying for the college education and the car and the house and the health care for this other individual. You see how adulterated that gets really fast? Well, see, that's not the same as invention, and that's not the same as innovation. We're not talking about making improvements on or finding what's wrong with capitalism. We're talking about trying to turn capitalism into socialism. That's a whole different discussion. When I talk about the original versus innovation or invention, I love the way Elon Musk said it. Elon Musk said, we never invented a submarine to move like a fish. Let that sink in for a second. We never invented a submarine to move like a fish. We took the best knowledge available about how fish, whales, big gigantic killer whales or little tiny guppies, we took the best information about how they move through the water and we used that knowledge to build a submarine. We didn't build a, a flying device, they tried in the beginning, an airplane, to flap its wings. Oh, they tried in the early on. It didn't work. Go back and watch all those videos uh, of the things that, that imitated what they tried to do based on their notebooks when the Wright brothers created flight or created manned flight in a device. Well, they took the same principles, the core values of lift, and they incorporated those into a flying device. Now we have airplanes that will fly literally hundreds of miles in the sky. We have left the Earth's orbit in flying devices using the same principles that birds use to fly, but not flapping their wings. It's not an adulteration of, it's an adaptation, it's an invention, it's an innovation based on the core principles of the successful original. 
See, that's one of the challenges we have with a lot of things from sexuality to marriage to all kinds of cultural mores that we have today that we've tried to improve upon the original by destroying the original or changing the original in such a way that the original no longer serves its purpose. If we can't find a way as leaders to improve upon an existing system, an existing structure, birds still fly. We didn't make birds not fly in order to improve upon how fly, how high humans can fly. If we'd gotten rid of the birds in order to make flight look easier, that would have been a different thing. But that's not what we did. We didn't adulterate the original. We duplicated it. We imitated it. We improved upon ideas of our own based on those core principles. See, when we look at relationships, whether you're talking about the workplace, or you're talking at home, you're talking about in an economic structure of a college university, some kind of system where people have to interact with each other. The ideas of who's in charge and who makes the decisions and who pays the price for bad decisions and who benefits from the good decisions, all of those things interact with each other on a regular basis. Now, some want to say, well, that's all about hegemony and hierarchy. Some want to say, well, whoever's in charge right now, they should be kicked off their pedestal and somebody else should get the chance to be in charge. I listened to a fascinating conversation the other day with one of my favorites, may not be your favorites, but one of my favorites is Dr. Jordan Peterson. I firmly believe that the research that he's done is probably as deep as anybody that I've ever listened to and studied. Now, I don't agree with him on everything, obviously, but there are some things that he says that I have to go back and say, that makes a really, really good point. And some of the stuff that he says about our hierarchies and the way that people are structured are pretty fascinating to me. I, I'm fascinated when he talks about the Pareto Principle. He says when he learned the Pareto Principle, which is that 80-20 rule, you know, 20% of the work in your office is, uh, or 80% of the work in your office is done by 20% of the people. And he went through the Pareto distribution in a whole lot of other things, like wealth and leadership and all the way through economic structures. And he was able to map it back hundreds, maybe even thousands of years to say, if you look at societies, some would call it the Matthew Principle, not the Pareto Principle. The Matthew Principle says those who have will be given more and those who have not, will, what they have will be taken from them. But what he's, what he's not talking about is the dispossession of people's wealth. What he's talking about is the application of opportunity. If you're given an equal opportunity that 10 people have and you do nothing with it, then your opportunity is going to slip away and somebody else is going to take that opportunity and make something of it. And chances are someone who's successful at taking an opportunity, whether it's a, a barren field and they plant cotton in it or a barren field and they plant soy in it or a barren field and they build houses on it, which seems to be a pretty common thing these days. The other thing in America is that people tend to take barren fields and fill them with storage units because people want to keep their stuff even if it's junk. You think I'm kidding, just go watch Storage Wars and you'll see how many times they open up these bays that people have been paying hundreds of dollars a month to keep stuff in and the stuff in there isn't worth keeping, but they're paying to keep it. It's fascinating. But that possession idea, that principle of the Pareto principle, will you keep what you have, will you multiply what you have, or will you lose what you have? That's about human psychology. That's about human behavior. Will you innovate what you have until it multiplies? Will you invent something new out of nothing 
and therefore create opportunity, or we simply adulterate what you already have, making something out of it that isn't really there. We do it in relationships. We do it with sexuality. We do it with the male-female lines by blurring those. We do that with economies by saying, well, we'll control inflation with price gain, with price uh, fixing. We'll, we'll control the oil prices by releasing reserves. We'll, we'll manipulate the tax base by giving tax incentives to one group and not to the other. We'll, we'll bring people up by, by taxing the rich and giving money to the poor. See, these are all adulterated versions of an original, whether it's the original male-female relationship, which is the only way that we found to reproduce, um, which kind of is the reason for sex, is reproduction so that the race doesn't become extinct. Or it's the way that we pay people and we fix the price wage and we say You're, everybody's going to earn this amount of money. All of those are adulterations of the original. If I agreed on the job for whatever that price was, then... That's what the price is. Uh, let me give you a perfect example as a personal experience. I subcontract myself for the MC work that I do. I also take contracts directly. And so I have some clients who hire me directly. They sign my contract. They work through my, off, my back office system. Everything is done. Insurance is done. Everything is done by my company. But then I also have other people who they're constantly in the process of selling. They're constantly in the process of selling the same services that I offer. And on the first initial phone call, we're competitive, meaning they may call, the client may call me and call them. And when they do, they get my price and they get their price. But there's also a chance that the other company will already be booked on that date, at which point he still sells the date at his price. My price is a little better than his price if you were to hire me directly. But if people hire at his price and he says to them, listen, it's not going to be me, but it's going to be my number one guy that's going to fill in for me, and I trust him explicitly, this guy is going to do a phenomenal job for you. Let me put you on the phone with him. You can talk to him. Chances are, that's me. And we will close that contract at his price, on his insurance, on his marketing time, on all the effort that he's put in. And if there's equipment that I don't have that's required for this client, he will provide it. Now, I have a negotiated price with him that he and I discussed and said, that's a fair price to do that work. It's less than I would get paid if I did it myself. But it's also his insurance. It's also his marketing budget. It's also his closing in the sale. It's also his free provision of any equipment that I might need that I don't already have. Now, when I put all of those factors in there, I can justify the price. There are a lot of people who look at me and say, why would you be forced to take a lesser price than if you did it yourself? Why don't you just call those clients and tell them, hey, I can do this for less money than he would charge? Well, number one, that's a violation of our relationship. That's an adulteration of our agreement. I'm not going to do that. Number two, I don't see that as a disadvantage. I don't see that as him taking advantage of me just because I'm worth more. I know that because when I sell myself, I get more. But because I know that what I'm getting is a fair wage that I've agreed to, and I'm perfectly cool with that. The challenge we have in our society today, especially as leaders, is that we have people who've been convinced that if it's not as much as so-and-so's getting, that comparative price, then you're being taken advantage of. And if you're being taken advantage of, you should fight for your rights to get more. Not because your job is worth more, not because your education is worth more, not because you can do more than anybody else in that job, but because you feel like it's unfair. And again, 
We see that in relationships. We see it in education. We see it in careers. We see it in culture. We see it in society. And we see it in government. That redistribution of wealth. Let me remind you, the Pareto Principle has been around for a long, long time. And it's not a principle that tells people you have to operate this way. It's the research behind the fact that for all of civilization, people have behaved that way. When we try to get people to behave in a different way, that's when we run into trouble. As leaders, if you'll realize, that Pareto Principle is pretty strong. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. We just have to figure out how to work within the system that's already there. Those laws like gravity, they're already there. Deal with them. Deal with them in a, in a prudent way. And we don't have to adulterate every system that works, like capitalism or sexuality, until it does what we want it to do. What we need to do is learn how to work within the rules that already exist. Align your core values with the core laws of the universe. Operate within those. Chances are, like the Pareto Principle, the laws of sowing and reaping, if you plant peppers, you're not going to get cantaloupe. If you plant, plant cantaloupe, you're not going to get peppers. The law of sowing and reaping is always going to be the same. The law of gender is always going to be the same. Operate within the laws that we have, and you're going to find a lot greater success. We don't need to adulterate the principles. The original is original for a reason. Innovate. Invent. But operate within the core principles that are already there, and you're going to find your life has a lot less resistance and a lot more productivity. I'm Jay Lauren Norris with Leading Leaders Podcast for Tell It Like It Is TV. Have a blessed day. Subscribe now for our extensive video library of leadership lessons promoting faith, family, and freedom.